turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. We're going to be looking at three key passages this morning uh, that speak about, again, the sufficiency of Scripture. We've been looking at this for a few weeks now, uh, but this is the last one that we have on this topic. And then we'll move on to the canonicity and the preservation of Scripture. Basically, where do we get the Bible from? Um, how, did, how did it come to be that the books and the writings that we have are the Bible? Uh, and how do, how do we know that? And then uh, we're going to close off the series with the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God and its, and its efficacy, what it can do, uh, the necessity of the teaching and preaching because of what it can do. Uh, but this morning we're going to finish this topic on the sufficiency of Scripture. And as you see on your notes there, we've already looked at the challenge against sufficiency as we walk through 2 Timothy and then the claims of sufficiency as we also, again, walk through uh, 2 Timothy and, and Peter, and seeing how the Bible... Um, uh, declares itself to be enough and more than enough for life and godliness in the life of the Christian. Uh, but this morning we, we want to, it, it's kind of connected to that, that the reality that the Bible is enough, but we're, we're kind of turning a corner here of, of experientially, practically in your life, what can the Bible do? I mean, we, it says that it's enough for life and godliness, and there's these blanket statements, but there's actually... Uh, detail to uh, what the Bible can do and how, how and why it is enough, truly. So we're going to begin in uh, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. We're given in this uh, passage here, we're given uh, a, a description of the Word of God. And it's actually a string of, of descriptions about the Word. We're given here the many benefits also of what the Word can do. So not just what the Word is like, but what the Word can do the benefits of God's word for those who know and obey it. We see here that God's word is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, desirable, and sweet. There's no flaw in the word of God. It's completely and absolutely dependable and true in everything that it says. The reader can bank his entire life, even your entire soul, on the truth claims of Scripture. And so as a result, you are restored, 
you're made wise, you're given joy, you are enlightened, and you're warned by Scripture. John MacArthur says that this is the most comprehensive statement regarding the sufficiency of Scripture in the Bible. It is an inspired statement about Scripture as a qualified guide for every situation. Whatever situation you find yourself in, Christian, the Bible is qualified to guide you through that. Every single one. You might think, well... Uh, the, the stuff that I'm going through, I don't really see in Scripture. I, I, the, the emotions that I feel, I don't really see in Scripture. Well, uh, I would beg to differ. The person, the man who wrote this is, is David, right? Think about what David went through. Uh, betrayal, treachery, rejection. Look at uh, Psalm 52, 12 through 14 says... For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. See, David was betrayed by those closest to him. So yes, he knows exactly what you're going through. He, he went through the emotions of guilt and anxiety and depression. Psalm 6, 6 says, I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. What, what emotion or emotions are, are in this verse? What do you see? What's that? Exactly. This, this, it's a deep sadness, though, right? It's a kind of sadness where it's not just surfacy and it kind of fades away. It keeps him up, and he's sobbing all night. Where he dissolves his couch with his tears. He makes his bed swim with his tears. And, and, and so much so that he is exhausted from his sadness you ever been there where you're so sad you've been sad for so long that you're just tired from being sad david went through that psalm 32 3 and 4 says when i kept silent about my sin my body wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand has your hand was heavy upon me my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. You see, we see here the, the fact that the, the, the spirit, the soul of a man is closely entwined with the body of a man. Right? Uh, if you are going through emotional and spiritual pain and struggling or anger, or frustration, or whatever it might be, it affects your body. And we see this effect uh, in, the, in the pharmacy industry, don't we? The, the drug industry today is, is the most profitable industry known to man. 
people are getting rich hand over fist uh, to soothe the physical ailments of humanity. But what God says is that much of our physical ailments that we feel often are a direct result of our spiritual ailments. You're depressed or sorrowful, so you stay up all night, or or, or therefore you eat all kinds of wrong food to try and satiate your your grief. Uh, you, You do all kinds of wrong activities to find joy, and now you're stuck with this state of uh, of physical pain now. The physical and spiritual are intimately related. Also, Psalm 38, verse 6, David says, I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. What emotion or what, how do we describe that today? Grief? Yeah, what are some other words? Yeah, depressed. This is depression. Depression is not a 20th, 21st century phenomenon. It didn't start when psychologists gave it that name. No, it's been around since the dawn of humanity. Or since, since the fall of humanity, rather. It's always been around. And, and so, just to show, these are a sampling, and there's many more. I mean, if you've read Psalm, the book of Psalms, uh, you are very aware that there are way more examples of the kind of inner turmoil that the psalmists go through and how they express that. And it's really helpful because you can read the Psalms, you can pray through the Psalms, and it gives you words uh, to pray, and it gives words to the emotions and what you're and the thoughts that are happening in, within you. It's very helpful that way. But all to say, David and the psalmist, they went through the same things we go through. They had the same issues, the same emotions, the same thoughts, the same experiences that we do just looks a little different because we're in a different context, different culture, and a different age. But humanity's never changed. So, if somebody who has gone through all of these things, just like us, can say things like the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, if that's true for him, then it's true for you, Right? Let's walk through these. The law of the Lord, it says here, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. This is the uh, comprehensive term for the complete usefulness of Scripture for life's problems. It's perfect in every way. The basic meaning of this word is, is that it's whole or it's complete, or you can say it is sufficient. That's another word for it. The law of the Lord is sufficient. In other other words, what's emphasized here is the comprehensiveness of the word of God. 
is perfect. There's nothing lacking in it when it comes to the issues of life. The scriptures cover all aspects of any given issue, especially when it comes to you and what you're going through and what you're feeling. The law of the Lord lacks nothing, nothing in order to be, in order for you to be what you ought to be. We'll see that a little later on in 2 Timothy 3, that you have everything in Scripture to be what you ought to be. I've had people come to me and say, well, I don't know if God can change me. I don't know if God can change him. I don't know if God can change her. Well, if they're a Christian, and if you have the Bible, then they have enough to be what they ought to be. You might think, well, you don't know my past. If you have the Bible, you have enough to be what you ought to be. You don't know what I have to deal with, Pastor. If you have the Bible and the Holy Spirit, you have enough to be what you ought to be. In other words, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. God's word is, is law. It's law. We're just going hi- to, we're highlighting some things, we're, and we're, we're not going to touch every single word here, but some key ones. And by the way, this is adapted from MacArthur and his insights, along with my old pastor's insights and some of my own. So most of this is not original thoughts. I don't have an original thought. I don't have an original bone in my body, my old pastor used to say. Uh, the law of the Lord, it, it, it's law. It's law. It refers to the, to the fact that, that Scripture is authoritative. It's law. It's not just another... He need, it's not that David or the psalmist needed another word to, you know, instead of the Bible. And, it, you know, if he didn't switch out law and the precepts and, and testimony... If you didn't switch out the words, it'd be just redundant. No, these words matter. It's law. It is authoritative. The Bible is the final word. It has the final word on the matters of what they treat. If the Bible says something about a subject, if it says something about depression or anxiety or marriage or gender or sexuality, or sin. If it says something about time, money, it's the final word. It's the final word. Nothing else needs to be said. All of Scripture is called law in this sense. All Scripture. It's not just the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. It's the teachings of Jesus. It's the teachings of the apostles. All of it. So it's, it's perfect. It's law. It's, it's sure also. It is sure. The Bible is sure. That means that it's unwavering. It's immovable. Right? Those are the negative ways to say it, but positive ways. It's, 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 it's reliable. It's reliable and trustworthy. We, we spent a lot of time on that subject uh, a, month, a couple months ago. 
The Bible and the teachings of Scripture are a sure foundation for you to build your life on. That's what this is getting at. It's a solid foundation. Not only this, but it, uh, oh, excuse me, it, it makes wise the simple. It's a nice way of putting it. It makes stupid people smart. It makes fools into wise men. It's a really kind way of saying, when you sin, when you, when you try and do things your own way, Christian, you're being dumb. You're being foolish. You're being simple. But go back to the Word of God. Go back to God's Word and be made wise. Be made wise. The term simple here, I love this. The term simple is literally an open door. It's an open door. And it indicates this, this undiscerning, naive, gullible person. Your mind has this huge, wide open door on the side of it. And anything can come in, anything can go out, right? There's no attempt to re- retain sound wisdom. And there's no filter to like what can come in and what can't. So I just let whatever in. Whatever the media or, or the news or your friends or your relatives might say, it just, it's just all so nice because they say it with a smile on their face. That's gullible. That's naive. You should not have an open door policy when it comes to your thoughts. Scriptures, however, make somebody wise. It, as, it, as it were, it helps you to shut that door and know when to open it and close it. It makes you wise. That is, it makes you skilled in life. It makes you adept in your relationships. You'll begin to, if you align your life and your mind to the word of God, you'll begin to uh, have this impression on people, man, he, he, that person just says the right thing at the right time. Or, man, that, that, that person had, had an answer to my question that it was just, it's so clear now. I, I see my situation so clearly. You'll, you should have that effect on people. Not only this, but you'll have this effect on yourself, right? As you become wise, as you become more and more wise, you will become more and more skilled in living by the right priorities. My, My shorthand definition of wisdom is knowledge applied. Knowledge applied. It is the skill to take the the knowledge of Scripture and to apply it to life. That's hard. That takes a lot of work. That takes you going to other men and women, other brothers and sisters in Christ. And if I can be, if I can uh, use this wording, it takes discipleship. It takes discipleship. One of the reasons why uh, somebody might have marital issues is because they've never been discipled. 
They've never had somebody to come alongside them and say, look, I saw how you talked to your wife. Stop it. The Lord says to love your wife and to honor her. Right? And that's just a skill of saying, this is what the Bible says. You're not doing what the Bible says. Stop it. And start doing what it says. Right? That's discipleship. Is the ability to teach the knowledge, but also help apply knowledge to life. That's all it is. All right. I'm getting excited. Um, it makes wise and simple. It, it rejoices the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I love this. It's, it, it points us to the, the true path, right? It, it, it is right. It is right. It is correct. What the Bible says is correct. It is the right path, as it were. It points you to the, to the right path to go on. It tells you what to do, and when it tells you what to do, it's right. You can be sure of it. If it says, um, if it says, uh, lay aside falsehood, speak truth, and you're not sure if I should tell the truth in this given situation, and the Bible says, speak truth, tell the truth, and that's the right thing to do. Right? If it says, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and you're tired, it's been a long day, but you're angry with your spouse, and you're not sure if this is worth staying up and working out with your spouse before you go to bed, it's, and you go to the Bible and it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, then stay up and work things out. And you can know that it'll be worth it because it's right. And that's the right thing to do at that moment. See, it's just practical wisdom. It's just taking the word, what it says, and doing it. But yeah, that's so difficult, isn't it? It's so hard to do this. Nonetheless, it, it, because it's right, because it, it, it is the correct thing to do, it always guides you rightly. Because of that, the Word of God enables us by Christ's power to, to be joyful no matter what our given situation is because we know that we're obeying the Lord. It gives us the power and the ability to deal with things like depression and anxiety and fear. That's what it means to rejoice the heart. Despite your circumstance, your heart can be rejoicing, not bogged down in depression, not distracted with anxiety, and not crippled by fear. You can be filled with joy as you go to the Word of God. It is pure, enlightening the eyes. It is pure, enlightening the eyes. This refers to, of course, something that is clear, right? When it says that it's pure, it's clear. That is, it's not puzzling. It's not puzzling. It's not confusing. God didn't write 
in a bunch of riddles for you to not know what he's talking about and to live your life confused. He wants you to know who he is, what he's done for you. He wants you to know how to live for him. It is pure. It is clear. It's not puzzling. And because it's clear, it's clarifying, because of that, the Scripture enlightens. That is, it brings understanding. And put together these two thoughts that is pure and enlightening, it is that it brings understanding in the midst of confusion because of its purity, because of its clarity. It can actually bring understanding in a very confusing and, and, and complicated situation. And this is so true for a biblical counselor, somebody who is counseling biblically or discipling somebody. You might think, oh, my disciple or the person I'm counseling has all these issues, all these things. It's a tangled knot. There's so many issues and, and, and red flags that I see in this person's life or in what they're going through. I don't know what to handle first. You go to the Word of God and you just untie one knot at a time. And eventually it unravels. And that person is restored and there's enlightenment, there's understanding about what to do. It, uh, it, the, the word of God endures forever also. It is clean, enduring forever. That is, as we've seen before, the scriptures are unchangeable. They, they, it, it will never be outdated or unsophisticated. There's no need for an update. There's no need to, for another revision or another addition. There's no Bible edition 5, version 2.3. There's no, there's, there's no kind of language when it comes to that. It's been written. Time and time again, Scripture says, and, and, the, and the, the, the people of God in the, in the Word, time and time again they say, it is written, it is written, it is written. It endures forever. The Bible does. They, and this is because it originates from the omniscient God, right? The all-knowing God. There's nothing that he learned in the, in the course of history. There's nothing in man that he learned where he has to update what he said before, right? People will try and do this. We see this today. When he says in, in Leviticus that homosexuality is wrong and, and, and not being one man and one woman in the context of marriage. When he says anything outside of that is wrong. Time didn't go by and now we're more evolved, right? That's something that we hear a lot. We're more evolved now um, or I've evolved on that issue. We hear that a lot. Um, if you're paying attention to the wording. I've evolved on that issue. Well, God has not evolved because he is omniscient. He's perfect. And so if he said something, then it endures today. It's still true. He's wiser than anyone, and he stands in judgment on all mankind. Lastly, it is true. The judgments of the Lord are true. Notice that it's in connection to the judgments. So the judgments of God 
are true. They are righteous altogether. The scripture gives us the truth on issues that are unknown and unknowable. That is, they are reliable on ultimate issues, such as life, morality, death, the afterlife, happiness, truth, security, these ultimate issues of life. Uh, The scripture is true in all these things. It gives the true assessment, the true answer. Not falsehood, not a guess. It gives the truth. Because of that, because of that, it is more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. There's, there's a difference here between gold and honey. Right? If I say I want to sell you uh, a pound of honey, uh, but the price is a pound of gold, would you make that trade? No, of course not. We're talking about value at that point, right? We're talking about value, the intrinsic value of a thing. So when, it's, when he says that it's more desirable than gold, he's saying that it's, it's valuable. There's, there, there's intrinsic value there. It's worthy of something. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade the, my, my copy of God's word for a pound of gold. You have to have that mentality. But this sweeter, right? It's more desirable. It's more valuable than gold, but it's also sweeter than honey. Can you put a price tag on how sweet something is? No, right? No. This is, this is subjective, right? This is this is how, how much you delight in it. So if, if gold is desirable, then honey is, is uh, excuse me, if gold is desirable and valuable, then, then honey is, is sweet and, and you could say precious. Right? So the value is speaking about the objective. And the sweetness is talking about the subjective. Do you understand that? Objectively, the Bible is highly valuable. Just just looking at, at what it is, at the fact that it is, this list that I went down before, the fact that it is Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, right? That makes it valuable, objectively. But also, subjectively, what it does to me, the impact that God's Word has on me, and what I experience through it, when I, as it were, 
taste and take in the word of God. It is, there's a subjective sweetness because of the result. He, he, I'm restored. I'm made wise. It gives me joy. It gives me understanding. See, there's that subjective side. So all through these verses, there's been this objective reality of the word of God and the subjective experience of what the word of God does in my life. And he combines those two realities here in this verse and says, it's valuable as gold, more valuable than gold, even much fine gold, refined gold, and it's sweeter than the sweetest thing in the world. I love it. I delight in it. I take pleasure in the Word of God. Christian, that needs to be your attitude when you come to God's Word daily, and I hope that you do that as you come to God's Word daily that you would come with this attitude, oh, this is, this is uh, I wouldn't trade this for another rerun of Family Matters, right? I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world. And I, and I love doing this more than I love a good nap. I love being in God's word. It's, it's, it's sweet. It's precious. May we have that heart, amen? All right, Hebrews 4. Verse 12, I've been yapping, so uh, can somebody please read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Amen. Here we see that Scripture reveals and brings to light the deepest workings of the inner man. And I, and I hope you understand when I say inner man, I mean inner woman as well, right? The sufficiency of Scripture is seen in this verse that it brings to light these inner soul level issues. First of all, it's active. Is active. It's where we get our word for energy. There's an energy, there's an activity in the word of God. It is at work. There's, it's operative. Have you, have you ever experienced that? When you sit underneath the teaching or the preaching of the God's word, it's like God is just operating on me. He's doing heart operation. He's just picking me apart and showing me things I've never seen about myself. And he's just filleting me open. That's what God's word does. It is at work when it is read, when it is recited from memory, when it is proclaimed from the pulpit or taught across a table. God's word has an effect. That's what this means. It's active. It has an effect. It does something. It, it produces things. It performs actions. What are these actions? Well, it's not just activity without result. There, there's a result. So the result is that because it's active and sharper than a two-edged sword, it, it therefore pierces. It pierces as far as the, the division of soul and spirit to both of both joints and marrow. That is, 
saying that there are these normally uh, unseparable things, things that are so within a man or a woman, so, and he goes physically and, and spiritually here, doesn't he? Soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The, the inner parts of, of a human being, that's where God's word goes. It's not surfacey stuff. God isn't concerned with the surfacey stuff. That's why it pierces. The term here means to come to, to reach, to, to penetrate, or even to, to pass through thoroughly and deeply, like a sword. Simply said, it reaches you to the core, to the core of humanity. God's word addresses the core issues. The core issues. The world will say your core issue, your core problem is a chemical imbalance. God says your core issue is soul issue. That's the issue. That's the problem. It's your heart. When it says here it is uh, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It judges the the thoughts. It judges the thoughts. The, the word here for, for thoughts, uh, it's a compound term. It's two words put together, and it has this part of it that, that is en or in, or in. It emphasizes the inner man. It refers to strong feelings, strong emotions. When he talks about thoughts here, it's not just the, the information that you're thinking. It, it is primarily, it seems like here, your emotions. Your emotions. The root word here means to glow. It's used of inflaming wine. Wine that, uh, when you drink too much of it, you get all warm and fuzzy and you don't think right, right? Inflaming wine, that's where this word, it shares this root word. The, the, the root verb also means to, to, it has this heat element and it means to uh, rush along in heat. It, it's related to the, to the word that's used in the Bible for, uh, for anger, for strong anger. So therefore, this, this word, thoughts, it's, it, it has to do with these strong inner feelings, these strong inner emotions that we have as human beings. What are some emotions that we go through in any given day? Maybe think back to your week and what you've gone through this past week, what are some emotions that maybe the Lord has brought you through? Sadness, Sadness. yeah. And grief, isn't it? Yeah. The, the Bible addresses those things. What else? Anger. Anger, yes. Anger and, and, and uh, impatience and frustration. Yes. Whether it's righteous anger or just selfish anger. Uh, anger at the sins of the world or the result of sin and death. And, and, and anger in, against somebody who just cuts you off on the freeway. Right? It addresses all of that. 
joy, happiness. Yeah, being hurt. Yeah. By the issues of life, by other people, betrayal, disappointment in other people, and circumstance. Absolutely. All of these things and more that the Bible speaks to. And, and, it, and it, what, what this is talking about here is, remember that he's talking about dividing, right? The issue here is division. It, 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 to division, right? Piercing so in order to divide. And that's this word judge. To judge is to discern. It's used for judging a legal case. It has this word that means to be critical, actually. It's, the word is where we get our word to discriminate. Right? So think of discrimination, right? where we, we treat one person different than the, differently than the other. We, we separate people based on maybe the color of their skin. That's discrimination. That's evil, right? That's wrong. But here, biblically speaking, this word judge is talking about discriminating your emotions. See? Discriminate. And, and, it's, and it's, it, the word of God is able to pierce and get down into your emotions and say, that's the right emotion to have at this moment. That's fine. God is with you at that time. Or, and, it can, and it can divide and, and cut away the, the anger. So maybe you've gone through a great loss, right? And there's grief. We've all experienced that, death of a loved one. There's grief. And um, that's the right emotion to have. But often, isn't there this, this mixing, because we're so messy inside, right? There's this mixing of sinful thoughts, too. Uh, and sometimes thoughts of, of anger towards God and, and bitterness towards the Lord for allowing things to happen. And the, the Word of God can come in and say, well, you can grieve, but you don't be angry with the Lord. It can split those, and it can help you, help you dissect so you're not just dealing with a big blob of emotion. See, it can actually come and, 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 and dissect you that way and, and give you clarity of thought, no matter what the situation is. Also, when it talks about that's what it judges. It judges the emotions, the thoughts, but also the intentions of the heart. The intentions. This refers to the deepest thinking. So if the thoughts were your deepest emotions, your intentions are your deepest thoughts. And you might say, well, I thought he just said thoughts. Well, we're doing Greek word studies here, okay? So English is different than Greek. So this is, this is talking about the deep emotions and the deep thoughts. It's the deepest thoughts, the deepest meditation, the, the, these concepts that you have in life, in your mind, your attitudes even, uh, what you value and don't value it, how you perceive the world and your given, any given situation. This refers to the, to the way a person sees and understands things. Uh, we are to have a biblical worldview, church. 
We are not to see things the same way that the world sees them. And this is, this is really evident, um, for example, in the realm of science, right? You'll have two men, and I've seen a debate between two men, uh, many of them, and, and you'll have two scientists, right, with degrees and education and all that stuff, all the letters behind their name, and they have the same body of evidence, but com- two completely different uh, 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 conclusions, one looking at science and saying evolution is the only answer. The other scientist looking at the same body of evidence and saying divine design is the only answer. The same body of evidence, same, same bones being dug up from the ground, right? If to put it plainly. Why is that? It's their worldview. It's how they see things. How you see things affects your conclusions. So you can lose your job and your coworker can lose their job and two complete, it ought to be two completely different reactions. Uh, you can go through a, a heartache or you can go through... Um, how about this? Let's get real practical. You can get a stimulus check, and your coworker can get a stimulus check, right? And how you view that money is complete, ought to be completely different than how your coworker views that, how they get that money, right? Let's get real practical. Right? There's a completely different worldview. How you view anything is different from the world. It ought to be, because you're seeing things from God's perspective. So these, this is the intentions, the deepest thoughts of the heart. This is, this, is, this is how you think. The scripture exposes our sinful thinking so that we are face-to-face with ourselves and, and our true values, our true priorities, our true attitudes. Right? If we start to react to things like a stimulus check the same way our co-workers are reacting to them, the Word of God ought to come as you're reading God's Word and hearing it preached and taught. It should come and say, wait a minute, right? Aren't you a steward? How would, you, how would God have you use that? Is it all about me? No. It, it, but am I to live as a monk? No. So there's somewhere in between. But those sinful, selfish values, priorities, and attitudes is what the Word of God can come and divide and and cut away. It helps you discern the right thoughts from the wrong thoughts. Remember, it goes back to this judging, this discerning, discriminating. It judges both your emotions and the intentions. See this and? So it judges... The thoughts, and it judges the intentions. See that? Judges your emotions, and it judges your thoughts, your deepest thoughts. That's what the Bible does. Lastly, oh, excuse me, before I go there, and we don't have to go to 2 Timothy 3.16. We, we probably won't have time to get there. But we've talked about it enough where I think... Uh, I can say a few passing things at the end. 
One last thing I want to say, because this is so, such a good point. There is a biblical view on the heart of men that is different from the worldly view about the heart and the issues of mankind. The biblical view of the primary and root causes of, of, of you, of what you're going through, is your heart. The, the primary cause of your sinfulness is your heart. Mark 7. He said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart, here here is the heart, out of the heart of men and women proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these things proceed from within and defile the man. It's not what's happening outside of you that's your main problem. So your, you know, your impatience, your anger, your laziness, you know, the way that you are, your personality, you could say, uh, it's not because so much of what you went through. It's not how you grew up. It's your sin. It's your sin. Now, of course, there's verses like Proverbs 13, 20. That says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Some of us grew up companions of fools. Had a lousy father or mother or sibling. And you were forced to be a companion of a fool because you had to live with them for years. Right? So yes, of course, if, if, if you grow up a companion of a fool, you're going to suffer harm. They're going to rub off on you. They're gonna, it's going to affect how you, how you come out, right? The other end of adulthood. Of course, you'll suffer harm. But the main issue, the main issue, again, is what comes out of you. It's those inner sins. Those sins that come out in any given situation. When somebody cuts you off in the street, when you burn your toast, um, when, when your wife makes a, a not-so-savory meal, um, when your kids disobey you, uh, when you stub your toe, right? Or when a loved one dies, or when you get the, the uh, painful uh, prognosis from your doctor, um, when you lose your job, whatever the situation, it, it comes from within. Your main issue is what's inside of you. 
And the word of God is able to dissect and discern and to give you clarity of what's going on inside of you. So go to the word of God. If you are somebody who is often controlled by their emotions or controlled uh, by any given situation, and that shows up in anxieties and depressions, right? And fear, panic attacks. That's, how, that's where it shows up. If that's your bent, then pour yourself into the Word of God. Get clarity to your, any given situation that you're going through. And God will help you to navigate those things. He'll give you wisdom, as we saw. He'll make the simple wise. I trust that you have seen this in your own life. I trust that as you hear the word of God faithfully taught and preached, that you would experience this in your own life. Teachers, remember this this class specifically is geared for with the expectation that the Lord would equip his church through these, this, these equipping hours for you to teach, right? That's why this is, as a reminder, this is mandatory. If you teach anywhere, you have to be here, right? Um, and that's in any ministry, nursery on up, okay? If you anywhere open the Bible and read it to somebody in the context of this church, uh, your elders and I expect you to be here. Um, with that in mind, as we teach God's word, there's always application, right? Because remember, how do we start this time? The word of God is all of these things, but it also does all of these things. The word of God is active, producing a result, Right? Psalm 19, Hebrews 4. So if we teach the word of God, we should tell people what, what to do. Right? This is in discipleship, and this is as you raise your children as well, of course. As you open the word of God, there should be a point where, okay, this is what you do now. Right? That's the expectation. I'm... If you never go to application, if there's never anything that we should do because of it, and if we have a church full of people who like doctrine but don't practice it, then God's word is not active. You're holding it back from piercing men's hearts. So prayerfully, as you study to preach and teach, as you study God's word to raise your children, as you study to, to, to meet with somebody in discipleship, pray and ask God, how would, this, how would that person apply it? How would, what, what would this look like in their life? And then tell them. This is what God expects of you. Right? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. How clarifying it is and how, Lord, uh, you don't just leave us this this mess, this, this ball of emotion and thoughts, and we just, you don't want us, Lord, to, to live this life confused, disoriented by the changing circumstances of the day.
Lord, you want us to be rock-solid Christians. You want us to be not easily tossed here and there by every wave and wind of doctrine. Lord, you, you want us to uh, live this abundant life where, in a sense, we, even though we have to go through the issues of life, we, we also, in another sense, we rise above it, Lord. And, and you want us to, to be joyful in every circumstance and thankful in every circumstance. And so, Lord, we thank you. No matter what happened this past week, we thank you that you are God, that you know what you're doing, and that you're with us through this life. You're a shepherd. Lord Jesus, you are a good shepherd. You, you, you walk with us. You use your staff to tap us into the right direction when we're going astray. And you feed us with your hand and you lead us to waters. You're, you're good to us, Lord. So may we not neglect you. May we not neglect our times in your word as we go there to hear you. May we go to our good shepherd and find everything that we need as we meet you there. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.